0: In his book entitled The Hole in Our Holiness, Kevin DeYoung writes, I fear that in the church, we don't care all that much about holiness. He says, We care about our friends, our family, and our finances. We care about our homes, our trucks, and our guns. We care about our vacation, college football, and life after high school. But I'm concerned that we don't care all that much about holiness. He goes on and succinctly writes, There is a gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. Now those of us in the crowd who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know what it is to love the gospel. If you've been grabbed by the gospel, you can't help but love it. After all, John Stott said that the gospel is God's good news of mercy to the undeserving. And when you realize that you are undeserving of God's grace, mercy, and love, you can't help but get happy in the house because you realize that you love the gospel. But I wonder if Kevin DeYoung is right, that there is a gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. If the gospel is that which God has done for us in Christ then godliness is that which we do for the Lord by the power of Christ. Do we love godliness as much as we love the gospel? The reason this is alarming to me is because I realized that for Jesus, personal holiness was a top priority. Today we continue our sermon series entitled The Good Life, whereby we're looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever lived, Today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. I invite you to take a Bible and turn there. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 5, let's read verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Heavenly Father, will you please help us to see you today? To see you in all of your splendor and all of your might. Help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For most of us, when we think of the heart we think of romance and roses when we think of the heart we visualize Cupid with his bow and his arrows for us the heart is the center of emotion in the days of Jesus the heart was not the center of emotion it was the seat of intellect it was out of the heart that came the very thoughts and ideas and motives of a man or woman To get at the heart of a subject is to get at the core of its identity. So when Jesus is speaking of the heart, he's speaking of the essence of who we are. Jesus said elsewhere, it's out of the overflow of the heart that you speak. One day in Matthew chapter 9, he was reading the thoughts of the Pharisees. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you entertain such evil thoughts in your heart? The heart was the place where thoughts and motives and attitudes seemed to pulsate out of the human individual. Proverbs says that we ought to guard our hearts, for they are the wellspring of life. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure In heart, blessed are the people who at the center of who they are demonstrate purity. Now the word purity means um, uncontamination. It means to be cleansed from dirt and filth. The imagery that comes with being pure is the imagery of clean linens, of clear drinking water. But most commonly, it's the picture of uncontaminated metal. In the days of antiquity, whenever someone spoke of purity, they were implying the process of smelting. Smelting is that process that burns away impurities out of a glob of metal, leaving behind only the pure, precious metal. The procedure goes something like this. A glob of metal would be placed and subjected into intense heat. That heat would cause the dross or the impurities to rise to the top, and then an instrument would be taken to scrape away the dross, leaving behind the pure precious metal. This is what Job has in mind when he says, when he being God has finished testing me, I will come forth as pure gold. Jesus says to the crowd that day, blessed are the pure in heart blessed are people who are uncontaminated by sin self and satan blessed are the people who are not affected by the ways of the world blessed is the person who follows hard after god blessed are the pure in heart if we had a old testament reference to counterpart this new testament statement it may be a place like psalm 24. Where the psalmist says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. One who does not lift his soul unto an idol. In Psalm 73, it's Asaph who says, Surely God is good to Israel. And then he further qualifies the identity of Israel as those who are pure in heart. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. In this moment, some of you may be squirming just a bit in your seat. And the reason for that is because you understand that you are not pure. I understand that I am impure. I'll go so far as to say, and many of you may not agree with me, but I don't know if I've ever done anything with a purely pure motive. I mean, there are sometimes I am selfless there are sometimes I am sincere there are other times I am selfish and sometimes I'm just sincerely selfish I mean let's just be honest I don't know if I ever do anything out of the purest of motives because like you I'm a mixed bag of motives and agendas yet Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart it's the prophet Jeremiah who says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure Who can understand it? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 that it's out of the heart that comes evil thoughts and theft, adultery, sexual immorality, slander, and all types of wickedness. The Apostle Paul said to the Roman church that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. For him to say all of us have sinned, some of you realize that he has in mind an archery contest. That in that contest, the archer had to nail the bullseye three times in a row before advancing to the next level. Had the archer not hit the bullseye three times in a row, he'd be disqualified from the competition. To miss the mark, to miss the bullseye, is to be uh, sinful, is, is the word sin. And so Paul says, this is exactly who we are. We have sinned. We have missed the mark of God's moral perfection. We don't just do it once. We do it all the time. But all we do is do it once, and it disqualifies us from salvation. And Paul goes on to say, not only have we all sinned, but we fall short of the glory of God. That word fall short is written in the present tense and in the Greek language the verb tense not only communicates when the action takes place but how it takes place. So that in the present tense it communicates the actions take place in the here and now but also it's a continuous action. So what Paul is saying is that we're probably far worse than we realize so not only do we sin and miss the mark of God's moral perfection but we continue to fall short in our life now if you weren't squirmy before you may be a little squirmy right now because Jesus is calling us to be uh, morally pure he is calling us not to be tainted and marred by the world and yet we look in the mirror and we look in the word and we look at our lives and we are completely and utterly sinful as a way to cope with this What most of us do is that we begin to compare ourselves with other people. We convince ourselves that we're not as bad as other individuals. And like the Pharisee in Luke 18, in Jesus' story, we say to the Lord, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like robbers, adulterers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. Now let's be honest, he could have chosen some more noble professions, right? I mean, he chose the scum of the earth to compare himself to. It'd be like you and me saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the drug dealer, the pimp, and I'm not like the serial killer. Praise the Lord. I mean, we never compare ourselves to the best of society, we compare ourselves to the worst of society, and somehow it makes ourselves feel better. More than one theologian has said, even if you are on top of the moral mountain, and even if other individuals are the scum of the earth living in the valley, Neither you nor they have the capacity to reach up and grab the stars of God's moral perfection. You may be on a moral mountain, but what does that get you? That just gets you a little bit closer to something that you can't attain. You can't reach it any better than anyone living in the valley. All of us are immoral and marred to the core of our existence. The prophet Isaiah went so far and in so many words... He said, even in your most moral moment, it's nothing more than a filthy rag before the Lord. Even your best effort, your greatest, most noble deed is nothing more than a contaminated rag in God's sight. Jesus comes and he commands of us, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, before you uh, throw up your hands and simply feel defeated, let me remind you that when Jesus is speaking about purity, he, he regards it in a similar way as we understood righteousness. You may recall a couple of weeks ago, we talked about righteousness, about craving righteousness, being hungry and thirsty for Christ. And in that righteousness, we di- differentiated between declared righteousness and demonstrated righteousness, that in many ways that that once we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God declares us innocent. He declares us righteous. That innocence is imputed unto us. It is reckoned to us as belonging to us. For God looks at us and says, you have lived the life of Christ. You have Christ righteousness imputed upon you. It is free. It is forever. It is eternal. And and it it, it never uh, taints or never goes away. And so when you and I begin to understand the declared righteousness of God, we say hallelujah in the house. We get excited and we say thank you God for this great gospel because of you when I've gone from no faith to faith because of that I'm now declared innocent in God's sight we have declared righteousness but then we said in response to that we must demonstrate righteousness because what we say we believe has to impact how we behave our convictions must influence our conduct so that demonstrated righteousness flows out of declared righteousness in a very similar way jesus approaches this concept of purity you and i realize that there is no way that we can be pure in the sight of god there's no way that we can be morally upright there's no way that we can be accepted in god's sight because we have sinned we continue to miss the mark and yet, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in the accomplished work of our Lord on the cross, when we know that Jesus paid our debt, that he was buried into our tomb, he was raised to give us eternal life, when we come to the moment of faith, we are declared pure in the sight of God. There's only one pure, perfect person to ever walk the planet, and it is Jesus the Christ. And when you come to faith in Christ, the perfect purity of our Lord is imputed upon you, it is reckoned to your account that God looks at you as if you have lived the perfect, pure life of Christ. We have provided purity. We have been declared innocent in God's sight. We've been declared pure in the sight of God, and it causes us to say, whoa! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We praise the Lord because we know that without you, we are nothing more than sinful men and sinful women. So we've been provided with purity in Christ. But then, out of that provided purity comes practiced purity. We've got to practice the purity that God has provided unto us, not so much so that we earn or keep our salvation. Oh no, it's so that we can show our gratitude to God for his salvation in our life. And this is where Kevin DeYoung says there's a great gap in the church. There's a gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. There's a gap between our love for provided purity and our love for practiced purity. We have people in the church today that have great theology but horrible lifestyles. And what that proves is that we have a love for the gospel but not so much a love for godliness. We have a love for provided purity but not so much a love for practiced purity. Because when practiced purity is neglected by a professing Christian, then that professing Christian pushes the envelope when it comes to language, when it comes to lifestyles, when it comes to recreation, when it comes to relationships. So that when practice purity is neglected by a practicing professing Christian, that person just might curse like a sailor on the Facebook page. Or around the water cooler. Or among friends. And then come to church on Sunday and get his praise on. Yet James said, out of the same mouth comes praises and curses. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. How is it possible? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. When practice purity is neglected by a professing Christian, What just might happen is that person might drink throughout the week, get wasted on the weekend, and come to church on Sunday as if he or she has nothing to confess. How is that possible? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. When practice purity is neglected, you might have a professing Christian who dresses like a hoochie mama, all in the name of fashion. How can this be? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. When practiced purity is neglected by a professing Christian, you just might have that professing Christian download a music video on his smartphone where scantily clad individuals are shaking what their mama gave them, all in the name of entertainment. How is that possible? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. When practiced purity is neglected by a professing Christian, you just might have that professing Christian who never calls into question what he or she watches on television. language that comes out of his or her mouth, the jokes that they tell or laugh at, or the websites that are visited. How is this possible? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Whenever practice purity is neglected, even by a professing Christian, you might just have people inside the church who say they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they regard sex as common as a handshake, so that we have people hooking up, shacking up, and let's just be honest, messing up, and then coming to church on Sunday as if they've done nothing wrong and Jesus will condone their disobedience. How, my friends, can this be? because Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart now if you're like the average church member right now you're beginning to bristle up you're beginning to bow up a little bit and say who do you think you are preacher for judging me I'm not perfect but I dare say you're not perfect either we're just trying to make our way throughout this life oh my friend I'm not judging you no no I'm not pointing an accusatory finger in condemnation of you. I'm just reminding you of what the Apostle Paul said to 1st Baptist of Corinth. Do you remember the words of 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 to 11? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and that's what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. You know what Paul is saying? He says when I look at the membership role of First Baptist Church Corinth I see saints with assorted past. You know what? Newsflash, every church has a membership role of saints with a sordid past. And so that's what you were. You're no longer that way. That's what you were, but you're not anymore. Why? Because you have been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified all by the power of Jesus Christ. Because when you bump into Jesus, Jesus changes everything. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you talk. He changes the way you act. He even changes your world perspective. Jesus changes everything when you bump into him so that love of the gospel is the same as love of godliness. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The quickest way towards spiritual blindness is impurity. When people are impure before the Lord, there is no way they can see him. Jesus said, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." What did he mean when he said they will see God? I don't get sick that often. I don't go to the doctor very much. But a couple of years ago, I was sick and I needed to go to the doctor. So I called the doctor's office I spoke with a receptionist and I said, I need to see Dr. Casey today. And she knew exactly what I meant. By me saying, I need to see Dr. Casey today, she knew I was not asking to see a picture of Dr. Casey. She knew I was not asking just to get a glimpse of the good doctor as he walked down the hallway of the office facility. She knew I wasn't asking just to get a glance. Of my physician when I said I need to see dr. Casey today she knew that I was asking for an appointment to gain access into his presence so that he might examine me and she also assumed that by me wanting to come in and see the doctor I would listen to his prognosis she assumed a lot that day All I said was, I need to see Dr. Casey. And she knew exactly what I meant. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus knows that you need more than just a picture of God. You need more than just a glance of God walking down a far street of your life. You need more than just a glimpse of the holy Physician. You need to be given access into the very presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You need to be allowed to stand before the great physician. Allow him to examine you. And then according to his prognosis, you will listen and obey. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The pathway to holiness is threefold. Number one, you and I have to desire holiness. Do you realize you can be as holy as you wanna be? If you are in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have the Spirit of God residing inside of you. Jesus himself sticks out. You can be as holy as you want to be. I'm reminded of the words of King David. In Psalm 51. Now, David was one who was sinful and guilty as charged. A lot of times I feel sorry for David. I mean, his story is laid bare for everybody to read. I don't envy that. I'm glad that God didn't do that with my story. And I bet you're glad he didn't do that with your story. But with David's story, he said, hey, let me lay it out here so that everybody can read. And after David's sinful sexual escapade with Bathsheba, He was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan said, you are the man. You are guilty. And David retreats back into his study. He takes his pen, he dips it in ink, and he writes on parchment Psalm 51. One of the lines of Psalm 51 states, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The Hebrew word for create create is bara. What's interesting is that all in the Old Testament, whenever bara is used as a Hebrew verb for create, it always has God as the subject. Humans can create and make certain things, and those are different words entirely. But whenever the scripture writer gets to the verb bara, whenever he's communicating something that God has done, God is always the subject of the verb bara so what david is saying is god i need you to do something that i can't do for myself i need you to do something that no physician on earth can do i need you to do something that i can't get from any place else on the planet i need for you to bara in my life i need for you to create within me a clean pure heart oh god what he's asking for is not bypass surgery He's asking for a heart transplant. He's saying, create within me something that's new. Create within me something that is brand new. I, I don't, I don't wanna give you just my filth. I want you to give me your faithfulness. I need for you to create within me something that only you can do. Oh God, I am desperate, I desire holiness. The first step is that you have to desire holiness. You can be as holy as you wanna be Because the Spirit of God residing within you. But secondly, we have to declare war on sin. We cannot tolerate, excuse, sweep under the carpet the sin in our own life one of the ways that you reduce the gap between your love for the gospel and your love for godliness is when you get to the point that your sin disgusts you you get to the point where your sin just thoroughly irritates you and you declare war on your sin you remember the words of Horatio Spafford don't you He says, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. If you're in Christ and you don't bear your sin, then you better declare war upon your sin because your sin has been nailed to the cross of Christ. So you and I have to declare war on our sin. But the third step, we have to decide that friendship with God is more valuable than friendship with the world. James, the brother of our Lord, said, Don't you know that friendship of the world is hatred towards God? We're at a crossroads today. Whether you're a graduate, whether you're a parent of a graduate, whether you just like graduates and you showed up today, all of us are at a crossroads. All of us are at the point where we have to decide who do we love more? Do we find God more valuable than the world? Do we love God more than we love the ways of the world? And if you and I are going to be holy, we have got to decide that friendship with God is more valuable than friendship with the world. It was A.W. Tozer who said, when a person goes from no faith to faith, there is a visible difference in their life for everybody to see when a person goes from no faith to faith there is a visible difference in their life so that everybody can see john macarthur said that the problem with sin is not the world around us the problem with sin is the world within us and so we desire holiness. We declare war on sin and we say that friendship with God is more valuable than friendship with the world. In John chapter 8, one day uh, some Pharisees brought a scantily clad woman into the presence of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was teaching there in the temple and these Pharisees were looking to trap the Messiah. They cared nothing about this woman. Uh, Apparently these Pharisees Uh, turned into peeping toms because they saw that this woman was engaged in inappropriate activity. And so they took her from her bedroom. Probably she was scantily clad, if clothed at all. She may have been wrapped in a bed sheet. They didn't care about her because it takes two to tango. They let the guy off scot-free and they brought her in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, the law of Moses says that a woman like this ought to be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus knelt down and he began to write something in the sand. They kept on questioning him and he stood up only to kneel down a second time and write more doodling in the dirt. And he looked at them and said, any of you without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their rocks, starting with the oldest Pharisees down to the youngest. They left. Eventually, Jesus was there only with the woman, and he looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none." And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. I find it ironic what Jesus said to this woman. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Let it be known. Jesus did not come for condemnation. Jesus came for salvation. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand. Any preacher who tells you that he does know is nothing more than a liar. No one knows for certainty what he wrote in the sand but he wrote something that convicted these men of their sin they dropped their stones and jesus stood up and in one statement jesus shows her provided purity and practiced purity he said i will provide purity i don't condemn you but i don't condone what you're doing either so go and leave your life of sin in that one moment he's telling her i'll provide purity in your life and now you go and you practice that purity Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the crux of his message. Pure people are God's people. God's people are godly people. So the hymn writer is exactly right. There is a fountain, and it's filled with blood, and it's drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. And they lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all of my sins away. Church, I came this morning for one solitary single reason. I want to reduce the gap between your love for the gospel and your love for godliness. So that when people look at our lives, so that when God looks at our life, he sees a reduction of the gap between our love of provided purity and our love for practiced purity. So that others will know that we follow Christ and we make much of Jesus. So today, today, reduce the gap between your love for the gospel and your love for godliness heavenly father we bow before you we give this invitation lord if there's anyone here who has never accepted you as savior and lord i pray that today they will fall head over heels in love with the giver of the gospel lord jesus thank you for giving us undeserved mercy Lord, I pray that today, if there's any graduate, if there's any parent, if there's any person in the crowd who doesn't know you as Savior, and Lord, today will be the day of their salvation. But Lord Jesus, our prayer is also that you will help us to reduce the gap between the purity that's been provided for us and the purity that we practice by the power of Christ in our life. Father, may you be honored and glorified by how we handle this invitation we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.